0: I want you to turn with me over to the book of 3 John. 3 John. If you have a paper Bible, it's at the end of your Bible. The title of the message today is Health and Wealth, Understanding God's Heart for Us. 3 John chapter 2. Excuse me, 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Lord, help us as we study. Three things upon which I want to focus today. The concentration of our prayer, the content of our prayer, and the context of our prayer's fulfillment. John has a real desire for the people to whom he's writing and although we can get a little get a little used to the the style of a writer and almost miss the content because we think that it's formal in its orientation and this is what writers do when they present truth whether it's Paul who says grace and peace to you and we run past that in a hurry thinking that's kind of a spiritual hello and we forget that he's really an apostle invoking principles of blessing upon people John here writes a little differently first word he said says with respect to the people is beloved and it comes from the word agape the word is really agapetos and it means loved of God John recognizing that the people to whom he was writing were loved by God first and that he needs to follow along with the same kind of affection toward them we need to look at people like that as those treasures who are loved by almighty god not as human beings that give us problems that get on our nerves that anger us upset us folks about whom we really don't want to be around They are loved by God. And if we want to get in God's most unqualified favor, we will love people like he loves people. We'll look at them like he looks at them. You know, Adam and Eve had a problem with their vision. It says that after they sinned, that they noticed both of them were naked. Their eyes were open. And they saw that they were naked. Something happens when sin occurs in relationship, whereby you don't see that person the same way anymore. You see them exposed. Before that time, they were, they, were, they, were your, they were your best friend. They were somebody you could hang with. And all of a sudden, something happened whereby now you view them differently. Your eyes see them, not like they did before. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. Eve saw Adam as a guy who could not protect her from the serpent. I thought you were all that. I mean, God gave you this garden? Are you kidding me? You couldn't even tell the serpent to leave. He told you to guard it and tend it. You didn't guard it. You let him in. That's what she's thinking. And he's looking at her like, my goodness, you let that serpent deceive you like that. How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Now we're homeless because of you. We're homeless. We got kicked out of the garden because of you. They saw one another differently and they tried to cover themselves just like we do when we sin. With lying, excuses, all kind of things we use to cover ourselves. None of them is sufficient. The only thing that can fix it is God opening our eyes to see people like he still sees people even though they aren't right. He still loves them. He still cares for them. And we need to look beyond the sin and see the person for whom God died. Beloved, beloved. And these surely weren't perfect folks to whom John was writing. Beloved, loved by God. Secondly, he says, I pray for you. Beloved of God, I pray. When he, when he mentions prayer here, it's the word in the Greek, exhumai, which which means prayer. But it doesn't mean prayer like The word proexumai means, which is what Jesus used when he was teaching the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. When they said, teach us how to pray, he said, proexumai this way. And it's a formality of prayer when you put the prefix before exumai, P-R-O-S. It means that I am teaching you the most proper way to address God from your perspective. But when you don't use the prefix P-R-O-S... It means almost a wish from your own heart, a desire you have for the well-being of somebody else as you pray, something that you're expressing to God out of the depth of your being that you hope touches his heart and is in line with his will. This is what John is trying to, to convey. It doesn't mean it is any less effective than pros exhumai. It just means that the writer is trying to convey, I've combined my heart with God's and this is what I feel about you. I pray like this. And there ought to be some passion in our prayer. There ought to be real concern in our prayer for somebody else's well-being. My concern is that in most of the body of Christ, maybe not grace covenant, but probably that if we were to rewind the videotape, which we don't use anymore, um, What do we do? MP3s and take it back? If we were to push the rewind button, most of us would find ourselves with the play button saying, Lord, help me. Lord, I have this. Lord, fix my body. Lord, assist me in my job career. Lord, and nothing's wrong with individual prayer. Thank God you're praying. But we need to grow in our prayer to where our prayer is not always about us. John is praying. He's directing all of his petition on behalf of others. Beloved, I pray for you. I'm directing all of my conversation to God about you. And everything about Christianity is counterintuitive. If you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you want to receive, you've got to give. If you want to be watered, you have to water. Yes, yes. Everything about Christianity goes the other way from what the world is saying. So when you come to Grace Covenant and you find yourself not hugged on a particular Sunday, somebody didn't address you as you would like, there wasn't the affection that is normally given to you, don't be mad. What you need to do is look in the mirror and say, who did you hug today? With whom were you affectionate today? Yeah. Because if you want it, you need to give it. Yeah. That's good. Now, even if you don't get it, you need to give it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the purest form of Christianity. Yeah. You really have not worshipped until you give something expecting nothing in return. Amen. Whether it be your life, your resources, your money, your time, that's Christianity. Where you are saying, I'm not looking for anything from you. This is not putting money in a slot machine hoping something comes back. I am giving myself for your benefit. If I get nothing back, that's fine. It is, my, it is my act of worship to my God that I serve you. Yes, yes. That's the way Christianity ought to be. Yet, God realizes that. He says, listen, I want you to know, every time you throw your bread on the water, it's coming back. When you sow, you're going to reap. Yes, yes. But the attitude of the Christian ought not be, boy, I need to get, so who can I give to today It's time for me to reap, so I need to sow. That should not be it. He says, I want my passion to be that which guides my prayer. Exhumai, beloved, I am wishing great things for you. And do you spend enough time in prayer wishing great things for people? I I beg you, if you make New Year's resolutions this year, make this one. Lord, help my prayer life to be 50%, just 50, 50% about everybody else. Maybe I ought to start back. Lord, help me to develop a prayer life. Amen. 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 Beloved, my heart goes out for your well-being. This is the passion that John has, and this is where we need to grow to. content of our prayer he says I want your, your life to be well I want your health to be in great order and I want you to prosper God desires us to be healthy and he wants us to prosper now I understand that there are excesses with respect to the health and wealth gospel meaning people are trying to get as much as they can out of the truths of scripture so that they can be wealthy, and and get as much as they can materially. I get that. And that is not the emphasis of this passage, nor is it the emphasis of the gospel. That is not to say that God isn't interested in your well-being. He doesn't want you tormented by horrible thoughts in your brain with respect to doubt and unbelief, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of anger and bitterness he doesn't want you tormented like that he wants you healthy and the word there for health is actually one that speaks of holistic health that your entire being needs to be healthy physically spiritually in your soul everything he doesn't want you, your soul affected by that which hurt you when you were six or eight or what somebody did to you. Now you can't make really good decisions with respect to trust because you got hurt back then and you're still affected by it. He wants your soul healed. Yeah. He doesn't want you racked with sickness in your physical body. Jesus came and he didn't just come to die, though that, that was his primary reason in coming. He came and it says he healed. He didn't have to do that if it wasn't uh, at least a part of his will to make humanity better while humanity was still on the planet, why heal folk? What's the point? Just do what you need to do with respect to preaching the gospel and evidencing the fact that you're the Messiah. Go to the cross, die, and rise. Nothing would have been done any less in terms of our eternal purpose and redemption. But he spent most of his time on the planet healing people and helping people get out of the situations into which they had driven themselves ditches out of which they could not get. God wants you whole. He wants you healthy. That doesn't mean comfortable. you got to pick up your cross every day. Every day of your life to intentionally make yourself uncomfortable. You have to learn to do that with skill. Denying yourself on a regular basis the things that most of the world enjoys. You say, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not going there because I love my God and I love humanity and I want to be a good witness to everybody with whom I come in contact. So I am not going to do that, nor am I going to go in that direction. I choose to pick up my cross and identify with Christ today in his death and his suffering. You wear your cross. But he wants us healthy in every respect. And he wants us prosperous. Now, the word prosperity really doesn't have much to do with money there as it has to do with being successful in your journey. That's literally what the word means. To make your way successful. It doesn't mean to make your way without mishap. To make it speed bump free. Doesn't mean that. Boy, will there be turns in the road? Will there, there be things that you have to jump over and stumble over almost? Yes but you don't leave the road because it got rough you stay on the road because as you stay on this biblical road you will inevitably intersect with God's provision down the way now if you exit early you'll never get to that intersection it's important that your way be prosperous God wants that so you've got to live in such a way that you allow yourself to intersect with that which he has appointed for you that might take you 25 years Until you intersect with that which is most important to you. But what road is better? Help me. Will they be smoother? For some period of time. But the end product is a dead end. You stay on God's road. You not only get glory, but you get every blessing he intended for you. I want your way to be prosperous. I want you to be in health, whole, in every respect. And I want your, your way to be that which winds up in the place that makes you happy and me. And I, I probably, because it's New Year's, need, need to get on this. And I don't like to say it and you don't like to hear it, but you, you need to work out. Yeah, you, 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 you need to exercise. You, you need to do it. You need to do it. And, and you need to eat right. Amen. And, and you probably need to lose a couple. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just, I mean, if we were just to get real for a minute. Th- these are practical things. Yes. You, 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 you're getting older. <laughs> I don't care where you are, you're getting older. Amen. And you're feeling pretty good at 25. You can still eat pizza at 2 a.m. and not have it affect you in the morning. You can do a lot of stuff. I can't do that anymore. I can't do that. You you can do a lot of stuff, and you're feeling like you're almost invincible, that the only thing that can take you out is a bus. You step off a curb, your bus hits you, you're gone. But nothing, you know, you're you're just flowing through life. But you have no idea what you're breaking down, because the breakdown of the body is slow it's slow now you regenerate your cells every seven years every seven years but a cell can only regenerate that which it is so if your cells have become d- damaged disabled then it can only produce a copy of what it is and this happens very slowly and then all of a sudden right about 38 you say you know, I'm I'm a little down low, sick in my back. I just I just don't know. I didn't used to have this down in here, just a little, Mm-mm. and then you get to 45, you start. You know, oh, my neck! I just I just I, I and you're taking antibiotics about two, three times a year for sinus infections and all kind of stuff. And by the time you get to 50, you've gotten used to all the ailments, and you think this is the way life ought to be. But if you had started at 25 taking care of your body, you wouldn't have that which you are now struggling with. Now, I'm not saying that physical fitness and good diet fixes everything. And if you are struggling as a result of things that have happened to you, even though you've done well, please do not be condemned in any way by what I'm saying. I'm trying to encourage people in the highest and best practices regarding your own stewardship of your physical body. I remember I was 37 And I was on antibiotics four times a year for sinus infections. It wouldn't stop. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. Had a dear friend of mine, Darryl Green, who came to me one day and gave me a hug as we were embracing. He's in the church. And he hugged me around the waist. He said, man, you're getting fat. (laughs) See, you need friends like that. You need friends like that. I pushed him away. I said, "What? what are you talking about? You're just getting fat. Now, I was all of 167 pounds, but he felt something around here. I got offended deeply, <laughs> not at him, at me. I said, what happened to me over the last 20 years? I used to be an athlete, at least I thought I was. I played football. I got my way paid through college. I thought I was an athlete. I went on a quest. I said, never again. And so for the last 17 years, worked out at least four days a week. Eating healthier. Don't have sinus infections anymore. Don't haven't been on antibiotics in a long time. Have I experienced little maladies like flu and cold? Yeah. But I don't have any chronic issues and I feel 30. I'm 54. I feel 30. Wow. Now, does that mean that somehow I attribute all of my well-being physically to my efforts? No. It's the grace of God. The grace of God but I participated with his grace yes. you need to participate with his grace because I'm committed to this I'm committed to not having to minister from a hospital bed Amen. I'll minister to people in hospital beds but I don't want to be in one not from my own doing it's hard enough just trying to resist all the stuff that comes against you even when you're doing right I don't want to contribute to my own demise by not doing what I need to do in order to keep this body healthy. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, make sure you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Bodily discipline is of little profit, or in the word there is temporary. But godly discipline is profitable in all things, or everything. And so the writer, Paul, is actually juxtaposing two things, that which is of temporary benefit and that which is of eternal benefit. Godly discipline will get you heaven. Bodily discipline won't. But bodily discipline will get you the temporary benefit of being here longer and healthier. I need that temporary benefit. As long as I'm here, I need that. And you need that. Add that to your resolution this year. Begin to eat healthier and work out. Having said that. I can't wait to get home and get some rum cake. Okay. <laughs> Did that help you with some balance? Yeah. I love sweets. I, can't, I just, I just love, them. I love them. I love them. I love them. I don't live on them. I have them every once in a while, but normally I eat healthy. Yeah. Ask my staff. Nuts. Dried fruits. Just nasty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Being healthy. health. Holistically (laughs) and prospering. God's desire is for you to be this way. I didn't say comfortable. I said prospering. And prospering can be through sacrifice. God told Abraham, leave the country that you're in. Go to the place I'll show you. I'll make everybody who blesses you, I'll I'll give them a blessing. Anybody who curses you, I'll curse them. And I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. God wants to bless us that we might be a blessing. It's hard to be a blessing to anybody if you don't have anything through which you can bless. So God wants to make you prosperous so you can help folk. Hmm. Whether it be strength or resources, financially or materially, if you're at a deficit, it is hard to benefit anybody. And lastly, the context. He said, as your soul prospers, that our, our benefit physically and in our life progress and materially is to be that which flows from a soul that is prospering. And there may be many ways to allow the soul to prosper, but the best way I know is to obey the Word. To let the Word of God be the rudder for your ship. And you decide intentionally. I'm not going any place or in any way that this word doesn't allow me. I'm going to do what the Bible says to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and at the highest level. You do that, your soul will prosper. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, Psalm 1, or sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the path of the sinner, but is delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In what do you delight? What's the thing that brings a smile across your face as you think about it? That's the way you need to think about the word. It shouldn't be just a drudgery. It shouldn't be just a discipline. You need to delight in this word. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is firmly planted by the rivers of water whose leaf does not wither bears fruit in season and in whatever he does he prospers how did he prosper outside? from having internal prosperity his soul was prospering because he obeyed the word he he adhered to the word what did God tell Joshua as he was about to enter into the promised land and lead a people he'd never led before and he had big shoes to fill I mean, Moses was all that. By the way, I don't know who the guy was in Exodus, the movie. And and I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do. It it shouldn't have been. It was a great movie. If you ever see Exodus, God and Kings, really great movie. It should have just been called The Exit. (laughs) Not Exodus. Exit, God and Kings. It was a fabulous movie. Good acting. No stuff in there. Little kids can't see. I mean, it was fabulous. It just wasn't Bible. It just wasn't Bible. Same thing with Noah. I don't know who that was, but that wasn't Noah. He had Noah's name, went through a flood, but that wasn't Noah. That dude was crazy. That dude was crazy. Now, I don't know why Hollywood has to refix what in their own minds is story. The stories are great enough. They are supernatural enough to capture the imagination. You don't have to add anything. In fact, they took a lot of stuff away, so you didn't believe in God. Noah had to get high. Did did you get that when you saw the movie? Noah had to get high to hear from God. Methuselah gave him this little potion thing and sniffed it. and Went into this trance and saw this, this thing about the flood. God didn't speak to him. He got high. And Moses was buried in an avalanche unconscious in dirt mud and god spoke to him in the form of a nine-year-old child that's in the movie it's not in the bible anyway joshua had big shoes to fill my hollywood commentary just for a minute i digress big shoes to fill he was concerned who is going to follow me after him He is all, nobody on the earth has ever been like him. He had a staff and turned water to blood, and the the largest river in the world to blood. At his word, the sun didn't shine for three days. Who, who's going to follow me? I ain't done nothing like that. God says this, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Joshua 1.8 but you meditate in it day and night and you are careful to do everything that is written in it and I will make your way prosperous and you will have success. How would his outward prosperity be manifest? By inward prosperity. You get in this word and you make your soul obey. You tell your soul, I'm not going left. I'm not going right. I'm staying the course. It might be inconvenient. I might lose some friends. I might lose a business deal. But I'd rather have the approval of my God than temporary financial blessing. Because in the end, God will bless you above whatever you had to sacrifice in terms of his will to get. What does a man really profit when he gains the whole world and sells his soul? What does he really profit Because ultimately, whatever you gained, you can't take with you. Fight for the approval of God. Not just his permission, his approval. Not just what you can get away with. That which brings a smile to his face. Fight for that. When your soul is like that, you are in health. And prosperity comes out of you. And success is the order of the day for you. Let's pray.